0: As you are standing, please turn to Revelation chapter 14. chapter 14 this morning, we will only be considering one verse, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, said the spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, from their deeds, for their deeds, Follow with them. This is God's holy inspired word. May God add a blessing to the reading of it. Let us now pray that God would bless the preaching of his word. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray now that you would bless our preaching, the preaching of your word, and Lord, that it would bless our ears to hear to understand in our minds, to believe in our hearts, and to obey with hands and feet. Lord, I decrease now that you may increase, be glorified in Christ, and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, saints. Good morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath. As we continue our study through the the apocalypse of John here at the tail end of this dramatic scene of God's judgment is a word of comfort for the righteous. The dragon has risen to pursue and persecute the bride of Christ. That is the church. He sends forth the antichrist from the sea and the antichrist from the land Antichrist uses his political power and military might to oppose Christ and his church. He uses the false tongue of the false prophet to deceive and influence the wicked to oppose Christ and his church. These beasts, these Antichrists, are determined to destroy the people of Christ, which has the potential to, and I say potential, potential to tempt the people of christ to ask this question am i standing on the right side remember this from a few weeks ago am i standing on the right side it appears as though the wicked are prospering while the righteous suffer violence at the hands of the wicked maybe i have been mistaken that maybe i've chosen the wrong side Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, John is given the image of a Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion. And he is standing victoriously. He is standing triumphantly. He is standing eternally as the one who has defeated sin and Satan and death. But he's not standing alone. This victorious one is standing with a 144,000 who have the name of the Father and the Son written on their forehead. They, These have been sealed by God. They are the recipients of the gospel of grace. The angel is flying mid-heaven declaring to those who dwell on the earth the gospel of God's judgment. And it is an encouragement of this. If you are standing with Christ, you're not standing on the wrong side. Though we at times are tempted to ask, Am I standing on the wrong side? Look to him who is standing victoriously and be reminded, no, I am on the right side. Those who are being declared, those to whom the gospel of judgment is being declared, they are being told that God has come now. The day of the Lord has come. The day of God's judgment has come. The gospel of God's judgment, that is good news, is being declared to the wicked. The angel flies mid-heaven and declares to those who belong to that wicked kingdom of Satan that the kingdom has fallen, that Babylon has fallen. Those who became drunk with the wine of Babylon will now drink the wine of God's wrath because of their immorality. Their time of prosperity has ended. Their time of pleasure has ceased. Uh, They shall spend eternity tormented with fire and brimstone. In the presence of holy angels and of the Lamb. There will be, saints, there will be no gospel of grace to be received in hell. There will be no cross of Christ to look to and be saved in hell. Time is now for salvation. The time is now to turn to Christ. The offer of the free gift of the gospel of salvation will no longer be extended to the unrighteous in hell. God's patience will run its course on the day of judgment. The complaint for many who have been presented with this biblical truth of comfort for the righteous and punishment for the wicked is most often something like this. But what about right now? What about today? We know that there will be comfort and joy in the future. But what about today? When we are persecuted for righteousness' sake? What about today when we are reviled? What about today when all kinds of evil is spoken about us? What about today when we are imprisoned, when we are beaten, when we are put to death? What about today when we suffer difficult providences that that just don't make sense for those who belong to God? God has a comfort for those of us, and I say us, those of us who ask these, these pressing and difficult questions. And here is the comfort. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors. For their deeds follow with them. And dear saints, this morning, with God's help, I would like to consider with you three points concerning this. The blessing for those who die in the Lord. The blessing for those who die in the Lord. Number one, dying in the Lord. Dying in the Lord. Verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, right. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. It is worth noting. uh, We won't spend time on this, but it's worth noting this. That the apostle John hears a voice from heaven. The voice that is heard from heaven is the voice of God Almighty. God Almighty utters his word. And all of heaven hears this decree. And it is this. Blessed. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Well, who are these that die? There is a blessing for them. And the only blessing for those who die are those who die in faith in Christ. Those who have faith in Christ. So those that die are those who have trusted in Christ. And a blessing is promised to them. Now, think about this, because the question should be asked. Is this blessing, this decree, only for those who die, listen to this word, for their faith? Does that make sense? Only for those, is this blessing for only for those who are martyred for the faith, if you will? Those who die for the faith, or is it also for those who die in their faith? Is this blessing limited only to those who are martyred? Do you need to be uh, burned at the stake, killed with a sword, and hung with the rope in order for your faith in order for you to be blessed. Some of us might think so. I need to go to the most extreme areas of the world. Then and only then will I show that I truly love Jesus and that I truly want the gospel to go forward. Not so. God has providentially placed you where you are. Well, we've dealt with this back in chapter 6, haven't we? When John sees the souls of, the, of those who are martyred and They are encouraged to to rest a little while longer. So the answer is no. The promise of blessing is not limited only to those who die for their faith, but it is for all those who die in their faith. Now, what does it mean then to die in the Lord or to die in faith? This phrase is an important one, but it, it refers to all those who by God's will, here it is, have concluded their pilgrimage in this life. What a beautiful phrase. They have concluded their pilgrimage in this life. They've not forsaken their faith in Christ in this life. They have not departed from the faith in this life. They have gone down to their grave saying, the Lord Jesus is Lord. They are those who will say along with the apostle Paul when he knew that his pilgrimage in this life was nearing, I have fought the good fight. There are those who will say along with St. Paul, I have finished the course. They are those who say along with St. Paul, I have kept the faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, those of the Old Testament are said to have died in faith. That is, that they too could say with the Apostle Paul, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul renounced his confidence in all other things to save. He renounced his ability to perform any merit that might be presented as a work of justification in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. St. Paul sought only to be found in Christ. To be found in Christ is to die in Christ. To be in Christ, like our brother Paul, is to renounce our own righteousness. To be in Christ is to renounce any merit That might be presented as meritorious. And to cling to that which only comes through faith in Christ. We sung just a moment ago. All I have is Christ. Those who die in the Lord. That's their song. All I have is Christ. To die in the Lord is to depart from this temporal life. Without losing your grip on Christ. None of us know what that moment is just before we die. None of us know what it is. To, to be on, to be on the the doors, the, the doorstep of death and to, to still be clinging on to Christ saying, I will not let him go. My confidence in him will not be shaken. I trust in the Lord. Some of us have felt that way before. I felt as though I was going to die. Do you remember what you were thinking? I felt as though this was the end. Do you remember what thoughts came through your mind? Were you saying, all I have is Christ? Or were there other things running through your mind? I pray that from this point forward, that the only thing, the only song that you will sing, the only thought that will come through your mind, the only beat of your heart will be, all I have is Christ. To die in the Lord is to depart from this temporal life without losing your eternal union with Christ through faith alone in Him. The promise of the Lord is this, blessed are the, the dead who die in the Lord from now on. That, that word blessed, it should, it should remind us of, of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. you remember those? Each begin with a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then later, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of false things against you and evil against you because of me, Christ says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, here in Revelation, there are also Beatitudes. They are sprinkled throughout Revelation, but there are seven of them. Listen to this. The first one you've just heard, blessed. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, it is the second of the seven. Do you remember the first? These promises are, are sprinkled throughout. But the first is this, Revelation 1 and 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. A similar blessing is found in Revelation 22, 7. Also in Revelation 20 and verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Revelation twenty two fourteen. 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that is in the blood of Christ. Revelation 16.15, blessed, a blessing to the Christian who stays awake and is not swept away by the evil of this world. Revelation 19.9, blessed are are the friends who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There are Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, seven of them perfectly to be exact. And again, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Dear ones, what could be said of you... What would be said of you if today your pilgrimage in this life came to an end? Should your pilgrimage by the will of God come to an end today? Would it be said of you that you have died in the Lord? That you have kept the faith? That you have looked unto Christ alone for your salvation? Should today be your final day of pilgrimage? That you have renounced all your own efforts to justify yourself before God. Is your confessed faith a living faith? Far from a saint being finally perfected. But are your eyes fixed on Christ? Do you, by the power of the Holy Trinity who dwells within you, seek to live in light of your confession? Do you mortify sin in your members? Put them to death. Do you bring down thoughts that do not exalt Christ? Are you living in Christ so that when your pilgrimage is done, it could be said of you by Christ, by him, that you have died in Christ, that he would say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, rather than depart from me, I never knew you. Again, not perfectly but are you in Christ progressively? Numbers 20 and verse 10, the pagan Balaam was not allowed to curse the people of God because they were not only protected by God, but they there was a promised blessing upon the people of God that he could not remove. He, he could not curse them and undo the blessing of God upon them. Now think about this. Balaam envied the way that that those who belonged to, Christ, to God, he envied the way that they died. He watched them. And he noticed that those who were of Israel, they, when they died, they died with a certain kind of confidence because of the faith they had in God. There was a confidence in them. And Balaam exclaimed this upon seeing their confidence in death. It, it, was, it was this, Numbers 23 and verse 10. Let, let me die the death of the righteous. And may my final end be like theirs. Now, Balaam was a pagan. He did not have faith in God, but he envied the way people who had faith in God died. The kind of confidence that they had. Here's the point. Balaam wanted to die the death of the righteous, but he did not want to live the life of the righteous. We're talking about dying in Christ. In order to die in Christ, you must live in Christ. He was unwilling to surrender his rebellion and submit himself to faith in the Lord. He was not one of of whom it could be said, I have kept the faith. What about you? I pray that for you and for me and for all who confess faith in Christ, that it could be said of you, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. This blessing in death. And we often don't think of death as a blessing, do we? We think of de- when we hear of someone who has died, we say, oh, poor them. If they're in the Lord, we, we still mourn them and we should mourn them. But but God has said there is a blessing for them who die in the Lord. The only way to die in the Lord is to live in the Lord and to die in Christ is the final triumph to die in Christ. is It, it may seem like a final defeat. It's actually your final victory. To die in the Lord is your final victory because for the believer, just like Christ, who brings his enemies under his feet. First Corinthians 15 says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. As you are fighting in this life, you are fighting against the world, the flesh and the devil. And your final bout will be against death. And guess what the outcome will be? Not defeat. In actuality, it is victory. Death has no power over you. Death has been defeated. Therefore, there is a blessing for you who die in the Lord because death has been triumphed over by Christ. And if you are in Christ, then His triumph is your triumph. Death could not hold Him. Death will not hold you. And this, this is beautiful, we are partakers in the divine life. As Peter says, We have been allowed this blessing of being partakers, sharers in the divine life. Listen to this. In our enduring, in our turning away from sin, enduring, turning away from sin, in our proclamation of the gospel, in our faithful witness, we are sharing in the life of Christ. What did Christ do? Christ endured suffering. Christ turned away from sin. Christ proclaimed the gospel. Christ was a faithful witness. He has called you to walk in those steps Therefore when you are doing these things you are sharing in the life of Christ. Remember when the disciples they were imprisoned. They were listen to this, they were beaten and persecuted. When they were released from prison, guess what they did? They rejoiced. Why were they rejoicing? They're rejoicing. Their joy came from this proclamation. We get to share in the sufferings of Christ. Christ suffered and we've got just a taste of what he experienced. We are sharing in the divine life of Christ. How wonderful they thought that to be. So when you are going down to your grave, don't think, oh, woe is me. Think, oh, grave, where is your death? Where is your sting? The sting of death has been removed by the victory of Christ. No, it is a blessing for you, not a curse. Come what may, you will live on. Death has been defeated by Christ. As we walk, as Christ walked through the valley of the shadow of death before us, so we walk in his steps, we face the trials and triumphs and say with the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Charles McLavin, commenting on dying in the Lord, it is the child of God falling asleep in the same arms of redeeming love in which he was always embraced and where he is safe in the peace of God. He is safe. And dear one, don't look at death in the face and turn your face away. Death turns its face away from you. There is a blessing for you. One last call, a reminder and call as we close this point. The promise is for those who are in Christ. That joy, that exuberance of saying, don't fear death. It's a blessing for you. That's for those who are in Christ. Let's make that clear again. Therefore, the call is this, if you are not in Christ, then turn to him and be saved. So that this same joy that you're hearing, this same amens that you, you are hearing around you, can that you could add your voice to theirs, and that your joy, that the joy they have, you might also share. Turn to Christ, and this blessed assurance upon death is yours. Secondly, I'm going to slow down. Point one was fast. Point two is going to be much slower. Life after death. Brother Ray, would you please turn the air on if you don't mind? Life after death. Listen to the verse again. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Saints, <clears throat> what becomes of the believer after death? The answer to that will both equip us and embolden us to live as unashamed witnesses for Christ. Christ. We know that when we die, our lives will not end, but it will be the continuing of our lives. Listen to this in timeless eternity. Some may wonder, well, then what happens to us when we die? Upon death, the soul is separated from the body until the two are reunited in final resurrection. Now, that brings us to a very brief discussion, listen to this, of soul and body. This is by no means all that can be said about body and soul. It is really scratching the surface or really opening remarks, if you will. For more on this, I suggest you go back and listen to Pastor Isaiah's sermons on the soul of Christ. But for now, for many, the idea of the soul is a primitive one. It's something that belongs to those who are less technologically advanced, people of the stone age, this idea of the soul, or or something that belongs only to mythology. Those are false notions. The soul is the form of the body. That is to say, the soul makes a human person be what it is. A human person, listen to these is an embodied soul, or an ensouled body. Man is one thing, a composite of body and soul. And the soul is what gives shape to a person and coordinates the matter to be that of a human person. If you see a dead body, that body is missing something. It's not. It's not whole. What is it missing? It's missing a soul. The dead body is only a corpse without the soul. Aristotle once observed, "We need not ask of the soul and the body if they are one. Neither do we ask if wax and its shape are one, because the answer is obviously, of course." That being said, the soul and the body are not on equal footing. This is important. The soul is primary. It gives unity to the whole. The soul exists by virtue of God. The body exists by virtue of the soul. You can have a soul without a body, but you cannot have a body without a soul. It will only be a corpse, as we saw just a moment ago. Theologians say the soul actualizes the body. The soul makes the man to be a man. And makes the matter of a man to be the matter of a man. Soul in Latin is anima. Which we get the word animate. The soul then animates the body. Not like a motor, but it is its very life. Not like a motor to a car, but it is its very life. The soul makes the body to be an actual living person who performs and acts proper to a human. For example, when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, what did he do next? He breathed into Adam the breath of life or the soul of Adam into him. Adam's existence was dependent upon God breathing a soul into dust that becomes a living, moving body. What does the soul do? The soul senses. It desires. It loves. It moves the body. Listen to this. It reasons. It understands and it wills. All of those things that I've just described are immaterial things. What's a will? You would say uh, it's. It's a moving towards something. Where does it come from? It comes from a desire. A, d- a desire, where does desire come from? Desire usually comes from an intellect. All of these things are things you can't see. You're only acting upon these things as the soul animates the body to do things. Does that make sense? Your body, uh, you love and your body acts upon that love. You give gifts that are tangible, but they're coming from immaterial things. Does that make sense? I love someone. And in order to show my love, I will give them a physical embrace. The body animates, or the soul animates the body. You understand. And based upon your understanding, you act in accordance with what you know. You're sensing something. And your body responds. Someone, my son and I have, have this game that we like to play sometimes when we're driving to school. The, the, you flinch, and then I got to give him two punches and then he tries to get, maybe he flinched back. There's a sensing going on. I, I, I put my arm there and and the senses react. All of these things are the soul animating the body. Immaterial things that are taking place in your soul that are being acted upon in a material way. Yes? Some teach that the soul is the real you. And that the body is just, it's just, it's just matter. It's just this thing that you're in, but it's not you. Not so. You are your, you and your your soul and your body, they are one. Look in the mirror. There you are. That's you. When you die, there is a separation from the immaterial and the material. The soul awaits the reunion of the body and soul at the final resurrection. And this is true for both believer and unbeliever. We will all be raised. Some to eternal life and some to judgment. John 5, 29. When we die, it can be said, he's no longer with us. And that's accurate. They are no longer with us. That the, the soul has left the body. Now, we've not seen the soul leave. Why? Because the soul is immaterial. And yet the soul does live. When someone dies, you, you, you should never say, I, I saw their soul leave their body. No, you didn't. Because the soul is immaterial. It leaves the body lifeless because its life source has been removed from it. Your body remains, but it also remains a part of you even when your soul departs from it in death. Your bodies will decay. But that is still a part of who you are, which is why we honor the body through burial. Burial. Because it is still who you are. We don't take our body, burn throw it across the world. Now, God can, of course, bring that body back together. But it's not honoring the body. And it's also not biblically honoring the fact that these two will be united one day. Those who were believers in the Old Testament, they buried their bodies. As a what? As a sign that God will raise their bodies again. They didn't spread their bodies and say, I go wherever I go. Instead, they kept the bodies intact knowing and believing that God would raise up that dead body again by bringing its soul to its body again. The soul is the conscience part of you that is separated from the body. The scriptures describe this departure of soul and body as sleeping. Why? Because of the posture of the body. Not because soul and body are actually asleeping Are sleeping. Your soul remains conscious. Now, when you are asleep, someone say, he was unconscious. No, you were not. Brain waves are still taking place. When someone is a coma, they would say, they're still there. They're not responding, but they're still there. They may not remember the things that were going on when they were in that coma, but they don't pull the plug because they're still conscious. They may even say, they can hear you. They can't respond to you, but they can hear you. They look like they're asleep. But they're alive. The body, the the scriptures describe our death as being sleeping because of its posture. But we are not dead. Our souls live on. Matthew chapter 9, the Lord describes a little girl who died falling asleep. And it describes her death as falling asleep. St. Paul speaks of the dead as being those who have fallen asleep. All of these are references to the appearance of the body in death, but not to the soul in death that makes sense? The soul never dies. The soul is eternal. Not in the same way that God is eternal. But once the soul has been given life, it never ceases to exist. We reject the notion of soul sleep. That when you die, your body and soul enter a state of unconsciousness until Christ returns. That's a long sleep for some. We reject the notion That you are sleeping and that there are some who will never be raised. They will always remain asleep. No. The soul does not sleep. It is only departed from the body. Where does the soul go? The immaterial soul goes to an immaterial place. While the body remains. There are only two places. Where the the soul can go. Heaven or hell. The soul does not roam the earth. It's not a wandering spirit. It does not visit old friends or haunt a hospital, as was told to Pastor Isaiah and I this past week. There are no friendly ghosts. The woman said that she will go... It was the first hospital ever built in in Bakersfield, downtown off of 18th or 19th Street, something like that. She says she goes down to the basement, she sees a, a ghost walking, and she goes, John, what are you doing? And John... I I I propose to you that is not a that is not a friendly ghost that is a demon, and she is an unbeliever who is playing and toying with those who belong to her kingdom. The immaterial soul goes to an immaterial place. If you said I've seen ghosts, no, you didn't, because you would deny the Scriptures' teachings that there are only one of two places that a soul goes after death. You said, no, I've seen them. You you are seeing something that you maybe want to see or maybe think because you've been raised in a certain way to believe in ghosts that you think you do see. Trust me, scriptures are not wrong. You are. No matter how much I saw it, I saw it. Either this is right or you are right. I'll go with this. Amen. There are only one of two places where someone goes when they die. Heaven or hell. Our Lord Jesus said to the penitent thief on the cross, Today, you will be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.8, To be absent from the body is to be at home or present with the Lord. We deny that when we die, our souls are placed in also in a holding pattern. Or over a period of time, where they are perfected before entering heaven. The holding place that I'm speaking of is Purgatory. We deny this doctrine. Our confession says, besides these two places, heaven and hell, for souls separated from their bodies, the scriptures acknowledge none. That is to say, the Bible speaks of no other place where you can go. It's either heaven or hell. Not purgatory, not to a place of waiting, not to roam the earth. None of those things are options for the souls who die. For Sorry, for for the person who dies what happens to our souls we believe that the moment that our souls leave our bodies for those who are in Christ they enter paradise and they're perfected in holiness the soul is perfected listen to this before entering paradise the soul is perfected before entering paradise so from the moment that the body leaves or the soul leaves the body There is an immediate moment, but it is a moment wherein the soul is purged of all sin. Confession 31, the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal substance, listen to this, immediately return to God who gave them the souls of the righteous, then being made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise where they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light of glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. Our confession affirms our souls are perfected before entering paradise. We would say it's instantaneous. It's not elongated. It's, it's not a delayed period of time. It is an instantaneous perfecting of holiness and being brought into the presence of God. Those of you younger ones, all right, maybe all of us who are one well, so what happens to me when I die? This is what happens. If you're in Christ, you're blessed. If you're in Christ, you're perfected before entering into his presence. If you are in Christ, you will be with God. If you are not in Christ, then you will not be in the redeeming presence of God. You will be in the judging presence of God. For those who die in the Lord, their death is not sudden death, but it is sudden glory. We weep for them, but they only know joy, and they shall never weep again. Dear ones, for those who die in the Lord, this should encourage and embolden our faith in Christ. That death elevates us. Death purges us once and for all of all sin. In death we are perfected in holiness, and we will remain in the presence of God forever. That should embolden us. That should encourage us. When Stephen was martyred for his faith, what does he do? He looks up and he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And in light of that, he is both encouraged and emboldened to pray, God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't see what I'm seeing. Forgive them. But you now know. What happens to me, Pastor, when I die? You, if you are in Christ, you will be with the Lord. You won't wander. You won't be placed in a holding pattern. You won't have someone here on earth praying that you get out of purgatory. You won't just be asleep. You will be present with the Lord if you are in the Lord forever. So don't fear death. Blessed are they from now on who die in the Lord. Let us be prepared to see our pilgrimage and long for it. To see our pilgrimage come to an end when God decrees. Let us again rejoice that our souls shall not wander, not be confined to limbo. And upon death, if we are in Christ, we will will be perfected in holiness. Third and finally, rest and reward. Rest and reward. Yes, says the Spirit, in light of those who are blessed in death, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. We've heard that God declares from heaven... Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And the Spirit agrees. Here we have the Father from heaven. We have believe in the Lord, the Son. And we have the Spirit saying, yes, I agree. Uh, The Trinity is at work here, even at death. Blessed are they. The Spirit agrees and testifies to this. Another blessing afforded to those who die in the Lord is this. Number one, they shall rest from their labors. And number two, that they should be rewarded for the good deeds that they performed here on earth. Let's deal with the first as we close. We shall rest from our labors. Any of you looking forward to going to work tomorrow, tonight? Even when you are older, it seems sometimes that you have just as much work as you did when you were not working. Our earthly labors will come to an end. Our toiling All the things that we work by the sweat of our brow to achieve, they will one day come to an end. All of your wondering and your laboring to pay bills. To make sure there is food on the table. To make sure that there is gas in your car. To make sure that there is clothes on your back. All of the labor and toiling, all of those things will one day, praise be to God, come to an end. Kids, there will be a day when you will have no more schoolwork. No more homework. There will be a day when there will not be the teacher who you don't like in front of you telling you what to do and when to do it. That day will, if you are... But here's, if you are in Christ, that day will come to an end one day. Not only will our our worldly employments come to an end, but here's something even better. The promise of the new covenant, covenant is that our labors for the advancement of the kingdom of God will also come to an end. Our evangelism... Praise God that we're allowed to go to the rescue mission now two times a month. There will be a day when that will end. When Dustin and David and Javier and and myself in the times that I'm there will no longer have to call someone to call to come to Christ. All of those in the new creation will already know Christ. Our prayers for endurance for the other saints and conversion of sinners, all of those prayers will come to an end. Because the saints will have persevered in this life. All of those whom God has decreed to save, they will already be saved. And they will be at home with Him forever. The preaching that I'm doing this morning, as 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 sometimes weak and and not as wonderful as I wish it could be, it will also come to an end. There will be no sermons, I don't think for me, in the new creation. So you might like that. There will come an end from this vantage point of sermons. In the new creation, we shall see Him and know Him. We shall be elevated in such a way through deification that no sermon on earth will ever be able to compare to what we know then. We shall behold Him. Our taking of the Lord's Supper, which we'll do in just a moment. And our declaration of anticipating not only what He's done, what He's doing, and what He will do. All of that will be completed imagine christ passing passing you his bread christ himself face to face passing you the cup as we celebrate the marriage supper of the lamb these labors can at times be taxing can't they when we pray there's always an element of rest that we are requesting. God, God, help. And, and the help is always like bring it to completion. Bring it to an end. Even when we pray in faith, we are praying that the Lord would, would soon come. That all of these things that we're asking for would just all be done. Which, wouldn't you love to no longer have to, to pray for things that you're hoping, hoping, hoping will happen? They'll all be done. They'll all be done. Our labors and evangelism, prayer and preaching, and taking the Lord's supper—when it's opposed by Satan and his army, it can be taxing. It can be discouraging, and sometimes it can even be disappointing. But for those who are in the Lord, as Spurgeon says, heaven will yield refreshment and never cause weariness. You know those those brief moments that you get in your life. Yesterday, uh, my wife and I were were out um, and. The past few days in preparation for her birthday had have, have been taxing. And last night, when everything was all done, she's happy. Her birthday was good. <laughs> the sermon is ready. I lay down and there's this moment of, oh, okay, and it'll be even greater this afternoon when we all go home and we're all laying down and everyone's asleep. There will be a moment of refreshing. But then I, I will begin to hear that one cry, And then the other one who's in the back, he'll begin to cry. And then this guy will come up and ask, can we play this? And there's this all of a sudden getting up and having to do it all over again. The labors continue. But there will be a day when those things end. There will be a day when all of those... Tony will have to get up tonight at 11 a.m. to go to work. Tony, there will be a day when that ends. Those of you who are getting up in the morning at 7 and at 6 and at 5 and and preparing yourself for the day, saints, there will be a, a time when all of that ends. Those of you who are getting ready to go to work and deal with that coworker that you know is difficult, there will be a day when all of that ends. There will be no. It will only be refreshment. It will only be joy, and there will never be a cause for weariness in heaven. There will never. Be, there will never be something in heaven uh, like the other day. My son was. Uh, he, he got reprimanded in class because they said, take out your math books. And he went, ah. Not in joy, in, in, in sigh. There will not be ah, moments in heaven. Isn't that good news? God will call His saints, come, and none of us will, ah. None of us will do that. We will run for joy to our Master, won't we? Our Lord said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In heaven, our labors will not be criticized. In heaven, our motives will never be questioned. In heaven, we will no longer walk away from our labors wondering, did that Did that accomplish anything? Did, did anybody get anything out of that? Spurgeon says again, here we must sow in tears. There we shall reap in joy. Here we labor, there we shall enjoy the fruits of our toil. Here we, we blight, uh, where no blight or mildew can, can endanger the harvest. Truly blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Rest will be ours. Here's the last thing. For those who die in the Lord, their deeds follow them. Dear ones, all of our sin, our trial, our torments shall be left behind when we die. But our good deeds and faithfulness to Christ in the face of opposition shall follow behind us into heaven as a crown of life for our faith in Christ. These immaterial things, these acts that we do, these deeds, these, these good works are rewarded in heaven. Now, let me be very careful as I say this. Don't misunderstand and think that we're talking about works salvation. Not at all. We are saved by grace alone, apart from any work on our part, any merit of work. And that, the free gift of God's grace, not a result of any work so that no one may boast. That's out of the way, clear. But we do not deny the fact that God says that we will be rewarded for our faith. You can't. One commentator said, our works do not earn the reward of eternal life, but rather they are rewards in eternal life. Notice that our deeds do not go before us. They follow after us. That is to say, they do not go before us as if they are the key to get into heaven. Faith in Christ is the key into the presence of God. Jesus said, I I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Yes. Christ is the door. Faith in Christ is the key. And deeds follow. The one who trusts in Christ as their evidence that they have trusted in Christ. The Bonaventure says, St. Bonaventure, if you would be blessed, there must be a sincere, listen to this, constant, uniform obedience. That is, uh, or the will of God must not only be known, but practiced. We must not for one moment think that a saint can only confess, this is going back to first first point, confess Christ as Savior in light of of our confession. Jesus says, why do you say to me that you love me, but you don't? Do what I say. How do you say that you love me, but don't obey my commands? Love and obedience, they're not mutually exclusive. They are beautifully married in the life of the believer. But I'm not a professor. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not one who stands on the street corner preaching. No, you are a saint. This work that I'm doing this morning... The work of an evangelist. The work of a missionary. The work of one who stands on the street corner. The work of a professor. Those are not the only people who are rewarded for good deeds. No. Not in the least. As a saint, you have been providentially provided and placed where God has you. Wherever that is. To be faithful in your hard work. To be faithful in your virtues produced by the Spirit. Acted upon as new and free creatures of the new creation. Your attitude, your charity, your kindness, your hospitality, your welcoming the stranger, your giving drink to the thirsty, food to the hungry, all of these are good deeds that you don't need to be a pastor to do, that you don't need to be an evangelist or a a missionary or a professor to do. You can do these things. And these good deeds will follow you and they will be rewarded in heaven. Our Lord said that when we do these things for the least, we do them unto Christ. They are not deeds that belong exclusively to someone who holds an office in church. Therefore, all who trust in God. Can, can I share with you in, in this last minute, <clears throat> what are these rewards? You may say, well, what am I going to get? I, I don't deserve anything. I'm just living. You're right. You are. And isn't God good that He would not only give you salvation, not only justification, not only sanctification, not only will He allow you To be glorified, but he also rewards you. Here's how he rewards you. Revelation chapter 2. Listen to the caveat to him who overcomes. That is to him who dies in the Lord. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To him who overcomes, who is faithful unto death, I will grant grant you a crown of life. Here's your rewards. You get to eat of the tree of life. A crown of life is yours. To him who overcomes, Revelation 2, I will give him hidden manna. And a white stone, and a name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. Revelation 2. He who overcomes, he who dies in the Lord, to him I will give authority over the nations. Revelation 3. To him who overcomes, to him who dies in the Lord, you will be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will, con- I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. We confess Christ on earth. He confesses us before God in heaven. Revelation 3. To him who overcomes, to him who dies in the Lord, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it. You will be in the presence of God forever and you will never be excluded from it. Revelation 3, he who overcomes, he who dies in the Lord, I will, listen to this, I will grant him the right to sit down with me on my throne. You ever sat with someone that you go, I can't believe I'm sitting by this person right now. I can't, it's funny when we meet a celebrity, we go, let's take a picture, right? I don't know what the picture is. It's, it's. I met him, but in a sense we think, we know each other, look at this picture. Right, Jesus is saying, "Not only will I know you, not only will I know your name, I will give you a name, and this we're not going to just take a selfie together. You can sit with me; you will be with me for eternity. Is there any other person in the entire world that you would ever want to sit by? That you that you would ever be so blessed to sit by? And it's not just for those who are doing what I'm doing right now; it's for you who endure, to you who overcome, to you who die in the Lord." Rewards for those who profess faith in Christ, who die in the Lord, and then their dying in the Lord means they have overcome. Meaning what? They fought the good fight. They finished the course. They've kept the faith. And there is a blessing afforded to you who do so. Is this not the encouragement that John gives for the saints to do this? Revelation 14, 12. So persevere. This is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. John says, in light of this, keep on going. In light of this, keep the faith because there is a blessing to you who do. Fight the good fight. Persevere. Don't stop. Don't let the enemy and what seems to be at times defeat for you. Make you think that there is no victory to him who overcomes. I say to you this, if you are in Christ then you have already overcome. So press on. So endure. God be the glory. Let's pray.